Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics tonight, new travel restrictions including suspended flights to sunny destinations and a mandatory hotel quarantine for returning passengers. We'll hear from MPs and get reaction from Canada's air sector. And another reduction to Canada's vaccine supplies coming next week as political tension continues over the vaccination rollout. Our Friday journalist panel weighs in. I'm Andrew Thompson and we'll begin with the federal government's new round of measures to deter foreign travel. The plan includes major airlines suspending Canadian flights to Mexico and the Caribbean as of Sunday. And as soon as possible, mandatory airport testing for travellers entering Canada. Followed by a three-day quarantine at a designated hotel at their own expense. That cost expected to be at least $2,000 per person. Travellers with negative tests can continue their two-week isolation at home. But positive cases will be sent to quarantine at a government facility. The same measures are expected at land border crossings in the coming weeks. Here's what the Prime Minister told reporters today. We're doing this to keep as many Canadians alive and healthy uh, as we can through this pandemic. Uh, We're taking difficult measures now so that we can get through this quicker, so that uh, we uh, have less damage to our economy, to our industries, to our workers, to our uh, lives. Well, let's have a closer look at these travel measures with three members of Parliament. Chris Biddle is a Liberal MP and Parliamentary Secretary to the Transport Minister. Stephanie Cousy is the Conservative Transport Critic and Don Davies is the NDP Health Critic. Welcome to all three of you. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. Mr. Biddle, I want to start with you. Uh, Why is it that the government took until the end of January to introduce these measures when there have been calls for further action to discourage travel for weeks and even months? Well, our primary concern is to listen to public health experts and the arising of new variants, the South African variant, the uh, British variant, um, caused us to increase those those measures. And we've said from the start, even though we've had some of the most stringent uh, travel requirements in the world, we said we would take steps uh, as were necessary and as were directed by public health authorities. And we're taking those measures now. Ms. Cousy, I want to turn to you now. What is your reaction to these new measures that were unveiled by the Prime Minister today? Well, it's a good question, Andrew. And the reality is, is that it is the incompetence and the inaction of this government that has brought us to where we are today. We've seen the government fail consistently in the fall with rapid testing, with on-arrival testing, despite many positive pilot projects across airports across the country. And of course, most recently with vaccines where they are failing terribly, both in procurement and distribution. And all of these things, Andrew, have brought us to these points of action here today where Canadians suffer. Canadians have done what Canadians do. They've been patient. They've gone along with government instruction as they should, but it's the result of incompetence and inaction of this government that really brought about the necessity for these travel uh, restrictions here today. Okay, well, we'll give Mr. Bill a chance to respond in a moment, but Don Davies, I want to get your reaction to this, the view from the NDP on what these new travel measures mean. Well, you know, it's been said that the classic liberal approach to governing is to do as little as possible and only when absolutely essential. And the problem is that that's, that's fatal. 
when you're dealing with a public health emergency, but it's been typical of the Liberal government's response. They've been weak, they've been slow, and they've been confusing. And, you know, frankly, it's preposterous for the Liberals to say that we have among the most stringent travel requirements in the world. That's just demonstrably false. You know, Greece has, uh, in December, they brought in a three-day quarantine requirement and mandatory testing for anybody coming into Greece. Australia and New Zealand have had 14-day mandatory quarantines in hotels for months now. And uh, we've had the Prime Minister urging Canadians not to uh, perform non-essential travel, uh, you know, when, when in fact what we need is we need strict, strong measures to ban that. And, of course, we're, we've got the perfect storm right now. We've got uh, slow vaccine doses. We've got surging cases, and we have the emergence of variants. So I think the proof is in the proof uh, in their lack of strong measures is in the, the fact that Canada right now is in the position we're in. So, Mr. Bill, how about that? And perhaps you can talk a bit more about what the timeline is going to be for actually getting this new system up and running where we have people getting tested at airports, where, where we have people quarantining in hotels. Uh, when should Canadian travel, travelers expect to actually see this rolling out? Absolutely. And I want to be clear that from March, under the Quarantine Act, Canadians have been required by law to quarantine 14 days and there have been no foreign nationals except for essential uh, individuals allowed to travel into Canada. Um, the details with respect to hotel quarantining will come out in the next few days but Canadians need to come home. Um, but also I, I do want to credit uh, our airlines as well and working with them and they've taken the decision to uh, suspend flights to Sun destinations. Um, and. We're working with health authorities, we're working with the sector, and we will take the steps that are necessary to protect the health of Canadians. Well, in fact, airlines have been warning that the situation is dire, that uh, flight bans would be devastating. And just today, as this announcement was being made, you know, we saw a drop in the stock price for both Air Canada and Air Transat, uh, again, as these measures were being announced. So, uh, Ms. Goosey, I want to turn to you. Is more financial assistance the answer? Well, this the airline sector is absolutely the punching bag and the scapegoat for this government, their incompetency and their inaction. Mr. Biddle is giving them credit today. What they really need is some type of cohesive plan to get them uh, through the pandemic, which the government has not provided to this point. And the result is the destruction of a sector, losses of tens of thousands of jobs across the country, and now Canadians having their civil liberties restricted as a result of the incompetence and inaction of this government. We have been calling for action for months and months regarding rapid testing, testing on arrival, and it's been met with silence and failure to land exactly where we are today with the necessity for these travel restrictions. So Mr. Biddle and his government can give no credit or must give credit to the airline sector, but it's really at their hands that the destruction of not only this sector, but really the state that we've gotten to uh, as a nation with, with the lack of action, and now we're seeing this with the vaccines, where we are here today. By Mr. Davies, I do want to let you get in on this question about airlines, and again, another round of flights being cancelled, this time to sunnier destinations down south. Uh, how do you see the effect on this uh, and for the airlines? Well, you know, first I'll start with Mr. Biddle commented that there's been 14-day quarantining since March. Well, everybody knows that that's been on an honor system, and frankly, enforcement has been a joke. Uh, I have people telling me all the time they used to get maybe one phone call 
in the 14 days now, I hear people aren't even getting a single checkup call. Uh, you know, the fact that the government is now moving to mandatory three-day quarantining in hotels upon entry to Canada is a sign that their previous 14-day voluntary quarantining process wasn't strong enough. It wasn't working. That's why it's changed. And, you know, I've always thought it's incongruous that the Prime Minister tells people to, uh, they're urging Canadians not to do any non-essential travel. At the same time, in a federally regulated industry like airlines, sitting back while they were advertising sun vacations to sunspots throughout November, December, and into January. And here we are, it's almost February. So this is typical of the government's confused and confusing and weak response to this. You know, the countries that have done the best, Andrew, are the ones that have short, sharp, strong measures taken. It's painful, but it's painful for a short period of time. and It allows the economy uh, to recover faster and, and transmission rates to be reduced. That's not the approach Liberals have been taking. And I would say as well, the airline sector does need, I think, significant federal assistance, because if we're going to ask them to uh, to um, um, suppress their business opportunities, I think it's incumbent on us to support them because the airline industry is part of our essential infrastructure in this country. Hey, Mr. Biddle, I'll turn back to you then. Uh, can we expect more information on assistance uh, to the airlines coming up uh, in the next little while? Absolutely. And we committed in November, Minister Garneau committed to assistance to the airlines. We know they have uh, faced uh, significant effects, more probably more so than any other sector in our economy. But we also have to make sure we get a good deal for Canadians. And that's why any deal will be contingent on refunds back to Canadians um, and uh, ensuring that um, aerospace, uh, Canadian aerospace contracts are fulfilled. Um, and other criteria, Canadians want a good deal and we are negotiating and um, I expect uh, hopefully something in the near future. Okay, well, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, Chris Biddle, Stephanie Cousy, and Don Davies, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Andrew. You. Well, let's get some industry reaction to today's announcement on testing, quarantines, and suspended flights down south. Joining me from Ottawa is John McKenna. He's the president and CEO of the Air Transport Association of Canada. Welcome to the program. Hello. So Glad the, to be here. Thank you. So the, the federal government is beefing up flight restrictions to stop people from taking a warm vacation. It's introducing the mandatory testing and hotel quarantines. What's this going to mean for airlines? Well, this is airlines. The situation has been going from bad to worse since last spring. And uh, we're hoping that, uh, you know, testing, we're hoping the vaccines, hoping that these things will all help. Uh, bring this to a to a term, but uh, the government adds new layers of testing and so on, but then doesn't relax any of the restrictions. And until restrictions on on uh, quarantines are lifted, our industry is going to have a very hard time dealing with this. Now, Sunwing is one of the affected airlines. They are part of your association, so there are going to be a lot of cancelled flights down south for them. The prime minister said the government worked with airlines on this, but. Uh, can you tell us if you know of any talk about reimbursement or any kind of financial aid specifically for these lost flights between now and the end of April? Well, the, the Prime Minister's answer to that question today was very evasive and that uh, he's been promising help for uh, since since we first wrote to him back in March. And uh, we have yet to see the light of day. Uh, whether they're talking to individual airlines, maybe, but I'm not aware of that. I'm not being informed of that. 
So we're very concerned by that. We're also very concerned that uh, the prime minister has to understand that uh, aviation in Canada is more than international aviation or transborder aviation. A lot, there, there are over 150 communities in Canada that, de that depend solely on aviation as a lifeline. So the regional aviation is key to this country. And of course, it's all a connectivity. So everything's linked to everything. But as a rule, our industry is in dire straits. Well, I want to ask you about that. Certainly, uh, your association represents a number of airlines that serve those vital regional and remote stops. And you mentioned uh, that campaign over recent months to get some more aid. There is a new Minister of Transport. We know that there will be a federal budget coming up uh, sometime this spring. Where do things stand right now in terms of your conversations with the federal government? Well, we talk to the federal government every day on, on restrictions going forward, but it's more it's 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 more of an information session than a dialogue because we do talk to them, but we're not sure if they're actually listening. We have no indications that they are. The other thing is that a lot of these decisions are decisions are being made by Health Canada, who don't understand our industry at all. And we're Canada on Transport Canada and their minister first and foremost to defend our our situation and say, hey, hold on, some of these some of these restrictions are just detrimental or, 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 or impractical, and we're not seeing that now. Of course, the new minister uh, is still being briefed, so we haven't had a chance to meet with him. We're hoping to do so as soon as possible. We welcome uh, new blood in this in this file, and we look forward to working with him. But uh, and we've been waiting for, since since April for some kind of indication that they're going to, you know, uh, actually do something, not just talk about it. And we're still waiting for that. So we're talking today, really the news today is, is the, these international flights going south to Mexico and to the Caribbean. Uh, in terms of the situation within Canada, though, we know that Manitoba, for instance, has instituted a 14-day quarantine for all travelers into the province. British Columbia had floated the idea of greater interprovincial provincial uh, restrictions. So, you know, as we have these developments and as we have new concern mounting about new variants of COVID-19, uh, what's the effect going to be for smaller airlines if we start to see more interprovincial restrictions like this? Well, health is a provincial jurisdiction, so that, that's one of the problems is that we're looking for the federal government to show leadership here and trying to get people to work together so that we have standards across the country. Uh, Alberta came out with some rapid testing that they're doing a pilot project right now. Toronto's doing it also. Uh, we need to get this done as quickly as possible. We need to this. We need for this to be coordinated by a federal government, even though they don't pull they don't pull the strings on this because it's, it's uh, provincial jurisdiction. We need their leadership to to make sure that all these people are working together. All right, well, let's finish with this. You know, we've talked a lot about the wider economic picture for airlines. We know larger airlines, Air Canada, uh, recently uh, WestJet as well, they've canceled flights, they've laid off thousands of workers. Um, I guess give me a, I guess more on the ground sense of, of what the situation is for airline workers, for all the various industries that support airlines right now in Canada. Now you're, again, facing this mandatory quarantine. You're facing this increasing testing regimen. Uh, so talk to me a bit about, about what the situation is on the ground right now for the people actually uh, working or people who've lost their jobs. Aviation in Canada in 2019, 2020 was basically 150,000 direct jobs and 400,000 indirect jobs. And uh, all these, many of these indirect jobs is a support industry. And these people are particularly hurting uh, because they, you know, service being so low, there's less, less requirement for their services. So 
they're they're losing people daily. Uh, pilots are and mechanics and all those people, those flight engineers are are and cabin crew. They're all either walking away from our industry because they don't see the day to work again, or they're close to retirement and they're saying, "Hmm, I might as well just go away." So we're going to lose key people when time comes comes around to to restart again. And when we do restart, we don't know what we'll be facing. I mean, right now we're trying to short-term survival, but the long-term survival is what's our industry going to look like? And that is an unknown. All right. Well, we'll certainly continue following the story. John McKenna, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, it's been a busy week on the COVID-19 front in Ottawa and across Canada. Let's take a closer look with our Friday journalist panel. Eric Eiffel is a columnist for The Hill Times and co-host of the Bad and Bitchy podcast. She's in Calgary. In Toronto, we see Laura Stone, a political reporter for The Globe and Mail. And in Ottawa, Mia Rapson, a parliamentary reporter for the Canadian Press. Hello again to all three of you. Hello. Hey, Andrew. So vaccine anxiety, it's certainly dominated much of the agenda as the House of Commons has resumed sitting uh, this week. We've had concern about new variants, questions about Pfizer's delays and which numbers to believe in terms of vaccine delivery and how many doses we're extracting from each vial. And now today, to cap off the week, Mia, news that Moderna is also reducing its shipment next week and confirmation that the European Union is moving ahead with export controls. What do these latest developments mean for the government? The Moderna news was a bit surprising today. Um, I think they were maybe signaling yesterday there were issues with uh, Danny Fortin, who's the, the military commander in charge of uh, the vaccine uh, deliveries in Canada. He said, we're still talking to them to sort of finalize our deliveries. And now today we're finding out that Moderna is, in fact, cutting back on its deliveries about 20 percent or so uh, next week. Um, it's it's a big problem for Canada. We practically ground our vaccinations to a halt this week because Pfizer didn't deliver a single dose and Moderna only delivers once every three weeks. So provinces don't have a lot left to give out and the vaccine program that was sort of just getting off the ground kind of had to stop. So it's a problem and it, what it really does, in addition to not having those doses, it's about 50,000 doses next week, it adds a lot of anxiety. If it, 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 There's so many problems with production. Even AstraZeneca, which isn't producing for Canada yet because we haven't approved it, is having production problems and is not giving Europe as much as they expected uh, this quarter. It's just another layer of concern and anxiety that all of these vaccines, it's great that they're developed and that they exist, but they, we can't get them produced and actually delivered. It means nothing. And so there's, it, it's a big problem and adds a huge headache for the federal government and the provinces who are trying to deliver these vaccines. And Erica, the federal government has been under fire, but the prime minister continues to call on people to stay calm and look at the long-term picture uh, in terms of getting doses over the next several months. But we've got polling data that suggests something different, that Canadians are losing their confidence in the federal vaccine rollout. 45% feel confident compared to 58% from six weeks ago. That's according to the Angus Reid Institute. And Albertans are especially uh, least confident about their provincial government's vaccine plan. What's your take on how political leaders have been handling this growing anxiety that Mia mentions? Uh, horribly. They've, honestly, I even have um, a lower sort of expectation of uh, the provinces and the federal government to actually coordinate properly and to deliver this vaccine. Um, this is not... I, I think Canadian management or Canadian leadership has taken a few hits this week, and for good reason, if you start talking about the Governor-General and how she 
sort of leads and the outcomes that we've seen from both the provincial and the federal government. However, I do have another mind of this, which is I'm not sure what our expectations should have been for a vaccine that was um, developed in under a year and is now having production problems. Uh, I'm, I'm not surprised considering that every country on earth is pretty much going after the same product. Of course, there's going to be delays and spits and spurts. And I just, I, I think that our expectation was that this was going to roll out linearly and at a, at a, at a set pace. And maybe those expectations were wrong. So, Laura, you cover Ontario politics, and this has been a big issue with Premier Doug Ford continually hammering home that he wants more doses, whether it's from Europe or from Michigan or wherever he can get vaccines from. We heard another plea from the Premier today on vaccines, and this follows the disconnect we had yesterday between what the federal government was saying and what some premiers thought they were hearing about vaccine delivery. Now, the provinces, they've already clashed with Ottawa over restart funding and health transfers. Do you see signs we're heading into some rough federal-provincial waters with vaccines? I think it's certainly a major issue uh, with the provinces and the federal government. I think what's interesting in Ontario, something you're not seeing from Premier Doug Ford that you're seeing in Alberta, for instance, is direct attacks on the prime minister or the ministers. Um, Premier Ford has actually resisted that, and, and he said he wants to work with the federal government. He hasn't blamed them, and he said he knows that they're trying their best. Uh, but he is interestingly issuing pleas directly to Health Canada to approve more vaccines. I think knowing um, that there are these supply issues with the two that Canada has already approved and just looking to diversify our supply, which is essentially the message that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has been pushing this whole time, that Canada uh, has this diverse portfolio of vaccines, which may help us in the long term, but in the short term, uh, we're, we're falling far behind. I think certainly the news of delays makes it very, very difficult for the provinces to plan. I mean, those the provinces and territories are the ones that actually have to roll out the vaccine. They're dependent on, on the federal government supply. And so this certainly holds uh, provinces back. And Ontario certainly has been under a lot of pressure to get their long-term care homes vaccinated, for instance, and they have said that they will complete this by the end of next week, but there's already been some criticism that that has taken too long. So I think overall, big picture, people are just getting very, very impatient. They don't want to hear about more doses coming in late spring or by the summer. They're looking to other countries such as the United States and seeing that uh, people over 65, for instance, can get a vaccine right now in Florida, and they're wondering, when that's going to happen here. And they're pointing fingers, they're blaming people, both at the federal and provincial level, because they just want this nightmare of COVID-19 to be over. Right. The so, expect the, sorry, I was going to say that the, the point that expectations were maybe too high is, is a very good one. Um, but that is also probably the fault of the governments. I mean, the federal government, one of their biggest issues is communication on this. Yesterday, this whole thing about five doses and six doses between the federal government and the, what the provincial governments were hearing could have been cleared up in one sentence. And it took about 25 minutes in a press conference for them to finally sort of come out with it. And it's been that way the whole time. The federal government needs to be more clear. They are not being transparent about everything. They say they're being as transparent as they can be. But what that's creating is these sort of big chasms of inf lacking information. And people, if people know what to expect, then they might sort of te temper their expectations a little bit more. Um, but there was a lot of excitement about these vaccines a few weeks ago. 
Uh, and now without this, inf- without any real information or guidance, they sort of expected a lot more than the federal government and maybe the provinces can deliver. And those chickens are now coming home to roost. Right. And so, Erica, what's your view on this? Because, you know, the government is in a position now of having to wait for production to ramp up uh, as promised and, and tell people to, to sit tight. But in the meantime, you, you just heard me talk about this. Part of the problem is this question of transparency and knowing what's in contracts and what numbers are being shared with the public and what other countries are making public about these contracts. How do you see that? I see that as a really good um, sort of entry point for misinformation. And that's why it proliferates. Part of the, well, part of the reason it proliferates is that the, I totally agree. I think that the communication has been absolutely horrid with both the federal and provincial governments. Um, this really is a tag team effort of of just like <laughs> of bad management. It really is. It, it's just so bad. The um, the provinces, when they get the vaccine, can't seem to deliver it in a timely fashion. The government can't get the vaccine. And here we are. Um, at least in Alberta, we're seeing, you know, Jason Kenney, who, to be fair, this is this is entirely on brand for Jason Kenney to blame the feds. I mean, he's ever since Keystone, I mean, he's gotten a second wind with that line of of sort of campaigning. And um, and it definitely takes away from his own missteps at COVID. So I, I'm totally not surprised that Jason Kenney has decided to take this mantle and stick it to the feds. However, the feds deserve it, on the other hand. So I I do think that communication is very important, um, but especially communication to marginalized communities. I think that public health officials need to take some responsibility for that because that has not gone very well either. Well, Laura, I want to talk to you about the situation in Ontario and stay on this theme of transparency because, you know, it did come up again this week on some other aspects of the COVID-19 response. You know, we've seen questions about school reopenings and why certain regions are getting the go-ahead to return to in-person learning and why some regions are having to wait. We just saw it recently as well with the province's vaccination statistics. Uh, Tell me about what the situation is in Ontario and how you see that relating uh, to what Eric is talking about. Well, we just haven't gotten very many straight answers as to how this government has been making decisions, particularly, as you mentioned, on school reopenings. We don't have the criteria, clear criteria laid out for the public as to why or when schools will reopen. Even today, uh, the Chief Medical Officer of Health, David Williams, was asked if the Greater Toronto Area schools will reopen by February 10th, which has been their goal, and and they couldn't exactly answer that question specifically. So it doesn't add a lot of confidence to parents and the public when they're looking for uh, goals or reasoning behind what's happening to their children's lives. And we know there's been a significant mental health impact on kids throughout this pandemic who've who've had to learn online and missed out on a lot of opportunities to be with their friends and how that's affecting their development. So I know there's a lot of anxiety, certainly among parents uh, to return to schools, but of course they want them to be safe and for the government to, to make changes to that. We know that Ontario is going to roll out some rapid testing, but again, we don't know exactly which schools these tests are going to, how it's going to play out. And then, of course, as you mentioned, we had sort of this debacle with the vaccine numbers. Um, 
about how many people have gotten the full vaccinations in this province. Uh, the government did come clean about that and said they've actually uh, uh, mistakenly been doubling that number and they, they did tell people about that. But I think it all kind of adds to this general murkiness and this uncertainty in the public as to how decisions are being made, what exactly is going on, and the details, as we can see, being hammered out in the public um, and, and all of these decisions being made in real time, which is, uh, you know, just a fact of this pandemic and how quickly the vaccine has come together. But I think people are at the end of their ropes now, and we're seeing the real consequences of this, uh, you know, even in Barrie, Ontario, with this horrible uh, long-term care outbreak, for instance, at, at a home. Um, and that is being, of course, blamed on the fact that vaccines didn't get there fast enough. So it definitely is having real-world impacts on people's lives still. And there's certainly an impatience uh, and growing frustration with how this is rolling out. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks to all three of you. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you. And that's all for this edition of Primetime Politics. From everyone here at CPAC, have a great weekend and thanks for watching.